hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Behind the Scene Podcast. Super excited to have you listening in again, and I'm very excited for today's guest, as I always am, I think. But this guest is super special, and it's um, this person is a pivotal part of my business journey. And so this has been a dream of mine to have Deborah DeBernardo on my podcast, and here she is. Well, well, thank you, Doyle. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's my honor, to be honest. You'll okay. find out. You'll okay. see why. <laughs> we'll, we'll see at the end of this. Well, hopefully we have enough time to unpack what's in my head. Okay. No, this is about you. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm your host, and if we've never met, my name is Doyle Wheeler, and um, my passion is business, but really my passion is telling stories, and I think the story that we're going to unpack today on Roast House Coffee is going to be extra special because it's got a story that... A lot of people may, may not do not know because they know Deb is who she is. Mm-hmm. So this is this is going to be super cool. Um, but stay with us to the end. We have some questions that we ask all of our guests, and I'm excited to hear how Deb answers them too. Me too. Awesome. Well, okay. So enough of the niceties. Okay. Tell us about down. you, Deborah. We want to know. The world wants to know. Who is Deborah DeBernardo? Who is Deborah? See, I'm one of six children in a first-generation Italian immigrant household. Um, we're from Sicily and Italy, both sets of grandparents. I grew up in New York in a family home with half a dozen adults and several dozen children uh, in a 1,200-foot house. Whoa. Yeah, one bathroom. So that's eight people. Oh, no, half a dozen adults and several dozen children. In 1,200 square feet. 1,200 square feet, yeah. Good grief. So um, there were at least four to us to a bed, you know, kids. Um, And then when we left the East Coast, we moved out west. Uh, We moved to Bend, Oregon, Alaska. Um, Short stint in Southern California. And then Spokane. Wow. Yeah. And I have my own house now. (laughs) Congratulations. Just Jim and I, and you know, until the kids grew up and moved away. So, yeah. Wow. Very unique, more normal, traditional family home. So, so did I hear you say you're a first-generation immigrant? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, no, I'm not. My dad was. I'm Your dad sorry. was. Okay. Yeah, I'm first-generation. Got it. Oh, you're the first generation of an immigrant yes. family. Yes. And that would have been from Italia. Uh-huh. Did I say it right? No. <laughs> okay. Well, We're no, doing this no, right Italia, now. Italia is correct, but it's predominantly Sicilia, Sicily. Oh, okay. So most of your, most your Italians that immigrate came down, you know, came from the southern end of Italy and Sicily because that was where the poorest parts gotcha. of the country after World War I and World War II. So your dad and it, it was your folks moved here with the family mm-hmm. because of a bad way. Like it was yeah, they couldn't rough living. feed themselves. Interesting. I had no idea. Oh, now you do. Now I do. I knew you came from Italy, mm-hmm. but I didn't. But now I know it's Sicily. Sicily predominantly, <laughs> I guess, because Italy is another generation removed. Oh, interesting. So my mom's grandparents came over from Italy. My dad and his family came over from Sicily. So we just always go to Siciliano. Gotcha. So did your parents meet in the United States or? They met in New York. Yeah, my mom was actually trying to get into a school dance by climbing in a window of the school. 
because she didn't have the quarter to get in. And she got stuck. And my dad was walking by, and he just saw this butt hanging out of a window, this butt and legs. <laughs> and he helped her get in, climb in, and that's how they met. Unreal. Isn't it? That's pretty cool. And then, there, and then there's Deb and five siblings. Five siblings, yep. Wow. That's super cool. It is cool. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. By the way, you trained me to say Italian correctly. Italian. Yeah. Good. I'm still working on bagel. Oh, there bay. it went. Okay, bay, like bay, B-A-Y, B-A-Y, bagel. Bagel. Yeah. I'm still a bagel kind of guy. Right, that's okay. You can say that as long as you eat gems from Hidden Bagel, we're fine. No, that's a good point. And her bagels are amazing. I'm so glad she got into, I said bagel again. That's okay. That's okay. And I'm glad she did too because, you know, every time I'd go to New York, I'd buy like 50 pounds of bagels. Wow. Bring them home, slice them, freeze them. Yeah, so I'd have them for a few months. So, I don't do that. So that would have been a staple for your family. It was. Gotcha. Well, um, t- so we all know you own Roast House. Yes. So I bet there's a lot of things that led up to that. So what's your, can you unpack your business journey? My briefly? business journey. Yeah, what does that look like? Well, let's see. Well, for the longest while, you know, for a short time as I was going through college, I... I worked with my brother refinishing and laying hardwood floors. Uh, I learned to tile and brick with my father, immigrants. Um, and then, you know, going through school, that was business management. Hmm. So I actually, my husband and I, he's my ex-husband and he's deceased, but he was an attorney. I had a business degree. And we, he developed programs to do divorce and bankruptcy documents really quick, efficiently, and was able to charge accordingly. So we had an office here in Spokane. We were doing it so well and so quickly and efficiently that I thought, let's go to Seattle and open an office. So I did. And then that worked really well. So it's like, let's go to Tacoma and open an office. So we did. Then let's go to Everett. And we did. So, and about that time, I realized I didn't appreciate making a living off of people who were going through the worst time in their lives. Interesting. They were devastated there. You know, and divorce and bankruptcy go hand in hand. And we made oh. a lot of money doing that. And uh, it embarrassed me. Um, and I just... I felt I couldn't continue to do that, and I needed to divorce myself from the practice, not from the relationship, from the practice. Though as I replaced myself in the offices, he did divorce me. So (laughs) it's like, okay. Um, And I I always wanted to get back into food, because I think I failed to mention, you know, we owned, the family owned an Italian restaurant in New York. Your family? Yeah. So I grew up in an Italian restaurant in New York. Wow. So I wanted to get back into food. I just loved the interaction, the socializing, also just the creating of the food and sharing food with people. So I looked for a job locally in coffee because I didn't want to open a restaurant. I didn't want to spend all my time at the back of the house. Plus, as we know, the margins in a restaurant you know, 3%. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, that is, it is crazy. 
So I, I did. I took a job with a local roaster as his wholesale manager. Discovered I loved it. Loved, loved learning about coffee. Learned a lot about coffee. And, uh, yeah, stayed with him for, I think, about seven years. Wow. Yeah. That's how you learn. That's how you learn. You learn by serving. You do. And uh, as you're working with different um, importers, different suppliers, um, you can either take your job very casually and just skate through, or if you really appreciate it, then you do that deep dive and you learn a lot about your product, what makes it important, what sets it apart. So that's just who I was, and I did. I learned a lot. Yeah. So... So you learned a lot at doing the work. What motivated you to step away from that and go full send on opening a roastery, of all things, in a time when it wasn't even a good idea? No, it wasn't. It was a terrible time. Um, well, I should, I'm overstepping. That's okay. You should explain why that was. We can, come, we can go back and forth. And, you know, you know I'm chaotic in my processing, mm-hmm. so we can go any which way. And we can come back, if you remember. Um, I learned that coffee was one of the most environmentally destructive products that we grow. It's in the top four due to deforestation and then the heavy use of chemicals. So we're creating climate change. We're uh, taking a perfectly healthy product that we put into our food. And we're, you know, in order to grow it cheaply and quickly, then we're just treating it with all these toxic chemicals. So I just kept pushing the group, the company I worked with, to take it a little more seriously and go take a more environmentally friendly route mm-hmm. with organic coffees. And it didn't work. So I, I thought it was important not only to go organic, but to go fair trade to make sure that the people that we're buying the product from are making a living you know, that they're treated fairly, and that the people we worked with were making living wages. So after a couple of years of really pushing this, he asked me to leave the company. Interesting. So, um, yeah, so I was fired. For trying to make a difference. Well, well I, if you that, think about it, yeah. so fair trade is going to bump your price up mm-hmm. per pound. Certified organic can double the price of a bean. And then if it's hand-sorted for defects, so there's no mold, disease, immature beans, then that increases the price, too. So here in Spokane, you had, what, three, four major roasters at the time. This was in the 90s? Mm-hmm. Was this the 90s? No. Um, and your comp- the competition was heavy. And so they didn't want to increase their pricing. They didn't feel that they could because it would reduce their margin you know they might have been able to increase their pricing a bit but then that would reduce their margins so anyway asked me to leave and that's crazy yeah so how long was it when they asked you to leave the roast house started about six months poof six months. so you were serious about this two years in the process get told no get told no get told to leave Uh uh-huh and you had a plan you know, I didn't really have a plan until after he asked me to leave. Gotcha. I was sitting on my front steps of my house outside. It was August, and it was like, what am I going to do? And I get a call 
Excuse me. No problem. I got a call from a friend who was in Guatemala on a coffee trip. And he had been actually trying to talk me into um, starting a business, a coffee business, for a couple of years. And it's like, get out of here. I've started businesses. I know what it takes. I don't want to do that again. Um, but anyway, he's passionate sharing the, the village, the community, these people. Uh, they don't even speak uh, Spanish. They speak in Iche, you know, and a native Indian language. Um, that very few people even know because this is this mountain town in the middle of nowhere or not even a town, just a little village. And anyway, he says, come on, let's start the company. We'd be the only one with these beans. They're crazy. They're delicious. Nobody else will have these. And, and he did. He talked me into it. By the time the call was over, you know, I had committed to him to start this company. And he said, good, because I just bought those beans. I bought the crop. And I used your name. <laughs> so, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. But he knew I could probably get the credit. And I had the business acumen to make it happen. So, boom. August, we owned a crop of beans. <laughs> and by the end of December, we were ready to open. So, wow. yeah, I found a roaster at a drive through A brand new roaster that was hardly used at all. Um... And the drive through owner was going through a bankruptcy. So I went through the bankruptcy court to get their roaster released. Oh, And then I was able to buy that. So, you know, pennies on the dollar versus, you know, the fifty hundred thousand dollars it was going to cost if I bought a brand new system. Now, that's some time and chance. And that was. Can you imagine? Uh, okay, I'm just putting these together. I've never heard this before, by oh, the way. I didn't know. So, so... I'm, it's just mind boggling. A friend calls you, hey, I got this cool idea. You're saying no. He buys the crop in your name and tells you it's on the way. Mm -hmm. You find a roaster from a company in bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. That's just mind blowing. You know, it really was. It was serendipitous. <sighs> yeah. And, you know, I never really stopped to think how serendipitous that was. But yeah, it took some time. Found uh, a warehouse. We're still there in that warehouse 14 years later. Wow. Yeah. The 423 blend. The 423 blend. That's the address. 423 <laughs> East Cleveland. I think so. by now anyone listening to this is going to realize how deeply attached I am to Roast House Coffee. <laughs> yeah, that only you would know that. Um, yeah, and I don't think most of our customers who really enjoy the 423 blend understand that that is our address. Yeah. It's cool. And I remember when you got the new sign, it's the only, if I remember, it's the only sign that looks different than the rest of them because uh -huh. it's 423. Yep. It's cool. Oh, because it's the only, it's the only address for the whole building. For the whole yeah. building. But yeah, they used our font. Yeah. That's so, so cool. It was. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I'm just thinking of all of the, because I remember when I, when I met you, um, I tried your coffee at Downriver Grill. And That's right. Chef Hoy, mm -hmm. I believe, was there, which is Adam Hegstead's brother. Right, right. And so it, we were there to talk about serendipitous. Um, so Carrie's, my wife's birthday, um, we were in a bad way. We, we, we were um, in the middle of a life-changing injury 
from me. Yeah. And so um, the family made a cake and they took us out to Downriver Grill and the chef and the wait staff were totally open to us bringing this cake. So we went there and the chef brought coffee out for us. We didn't even, we weren't going to buy coffee. Okay. We didn't order it. Okay. And so previous to this, our coffee excitement was, <laughs> I'm about to actually quote a Starbucks name. Okay. So cringe now. Casa de Cielo. Okay. That was their, yeah. it came out in January. So Carrie's birthday is January 3rd. And we just got in a bag of it. And our guts would hurt every time we made this coffee. And, I, and we couldn't figure it out. And we hadn't drank good coffee before this. Uh -huh. We were breaking the bank to go get this coffee. Oh, wow. And we were using a cheesy grinder. It was like a nut grinder. We didn't know we what all, we were doing. I think we all start with those grinders. That's right. Yeah. And um, we show up at Downriver Grill. We get bring in the cake and coffee served. And Carrie and I, I remember it. We took a sip of the coffee and we both looked at each other and we're like, what is this? I think this is what we've been looking yeah. for. Almost <laughs> like it's this spiritual unraveling, you know. Uh -huh. And anyway, and, and so um, we asked the chef, well, where did this coffee come from? He's like, funny you should ask. Everybody asked that. Yeah. And it was Deb, and he gave us your card. And um, so we got in touch with you and you gave us a coffee tasting. It Pretty was cool. wonderful. I remember when you came in. And that was, you actually settled on Cafe de Americas. Absolutely. Which we nicknamed CDA. Yeah. Oh. And we we've drank that for years. Me we've too. switched to Deb's private Deb's private blend. You yeah. have, have you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the only one that goes home with me. <laughs> so I'll drink all our coffees at work, but that's but the only one that goes home. Not to be mysterious, it's sweet blue. Yes. you can order it. Yes, now. you can. Used to so. not be able to. Well, it was about two dollars more a pound than our average, which was twice as much as what any other roaster was paying. So. Yeah, we were really selective. Plus, you know, could we afford, how much could we afford to buy right, in the warehouse? Right. But uh, Spokane just took it on. Yeah. So. so we got the coffee, and then it was kind of like we could get it at the grocery store. So we never really came back to the roastery much. And it was, um, I'm kind of jumping ahead because I'm excited. Yeah. But <laughs> Twitter became the thing. And um, do you remember... Um, Oh, I, I meant to write her name down. She was the gal that got hired by WSDOT for the bike lanes. Not Andrea? No. Um, she used to tweet with her when she was biking. Um, right on the tip of my tongue. She ended up moving to the west side. The west side. Oh, yes. I'm seeing her. But I, the Bike Alliance. I'm not coming up with her name, but I will. I will in just a moment. Yes, and she's still super active. Yes. On the west side. So I, and, and I was, previous to my injury, I was heavy into bikes. I yeah. was rebuilding vintage mountain bikes. So then I got hooked on Twitter. And I remember tweeting with Roast House Coffee. Mm -hmm. And it was, the, it was this big, you know, like a big deal. So when I started getting into business, I got invited to your first year anniversary party. And that's when things really took off. Um, yeah. Well, you were into bikes, and you were into Twitter. We were. We were I was just learning. Mm -hmm. People were just teaching, teaching me. And it was just Dave and I. There were no employees. So, That's right. You know, after roasting, bagging, labeling, all that, delivering, um, I was trying to figure out how to handle social media. Um, and that's where you actually stepped in. And 
I think the correlation was even tighter because I was a cyclist. I commuted mm-hmm. by bike for about 14 years. Um, so we had that in common. We had the love of coffee, and then you were learning social media so mm-hmm. much quicker than I was. <laughs> and you actually started helping me and teaching me. And I, f- I forgot about that. So you were talking about serendipitous. Mm-hmm. That is a theme that keeps coming across this podcast table. Really? Unbelievable. Um, I would say 75% of our guests, when they're getting into business, yeah. it's because of some serendipitous thing because they were active and they were doing and they were finding their their passion and doing their thing and then all of a sudden it came together and boom yeah i think when you have huge passion for something excitement and joy it just comes into your life yeah and and that just repeatedly over and over and over so for 14 years we've had this incredible journey yeah uh and most satisfying you know for sure there is uh not a job or a business I've been involved in, I love more and get more satisfaction and joy and pleasure. Uh, it, so much so that I worked so many hours just because I had so many wonderful people come into the roastery. I didn't need to go out and socialize. <laughs> Everybody would come. They would come to you. Yeah, and you know, it would be seven days a week. It would be 10, 12 hours a day. Uh, and it's only recently that I've really cut back. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about Roast House. Like, what is, what's it all about? Roast House. So yeah. founded on fair trade, shade-grown, certified organic coffees and paying living wages, not just to the farmers, but to our local Spokanites. Mm-hmm. Because the, our coffee industry here in Spokane isn't really, um, doesn't really offer living wages, typically. Yeah. It's a turn and burn type situation, or it had been. So I wanted to make sure I paid real living wages and that I didn't compromise on the value of the product nor the sustainability aspect. It had to be sustainable. I was not going to do what everybody else was doing. Uh, Yeah, that was so important. Because, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but in 20 years, it's estimated 50% of the world's coffee is gone. Yeah, just gone, and that's due to uh, the you know supporting the non-certified coffees, the non-sustainable coffees. So it's not just a matter of um, you believe that everything you eat, everything goes into your body should be organic. You don't want chemicals. I would say ninety percent of our guests really don't care. Not mm-hmm. guests, but friends and, and supporters. They really don't care that it's certified organic. They just know it tastes really mm-hmm. good. And it tastes good because there are no chemicals. Yeah. And then again, it's hand sorted so versus mechanized sorting, which removes a good portion of defects, but not all of them. So this pretty much guarantees that we have defect-free coffee. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, so that was I, why I wanted to start it like with those values, those ethics. Mm-hmm. And it was tough. Yeah. It was tough. I remember early on you'd say, um, it, it wasn't out of frustration. So if it comes across the way I say it, it's not the way I'm thinking it. But it was like we'd be talking about a subject or some situation, and it was usually about the economy or something going on. And um, then you'd bring up, I, it's, it's a big deal. That's why we have to give living wages. And 
then I remember you saying a few times, I just skip my paycheck so I can make sure they're paid. I did. Yeah. I did for many years, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, I remarried, I remarried about 30 years ago. And Jim and I lived, we moved into an 800-foot house on the South Hill. Um, we did it. We did all the work ourselves. Um, but, you know, South Hill, 30 years ago, that was a cheap house. <laughs> so um, we had no, no bills, no debts. Roast House only had the initial um, business loan. So I did. I learned to live without income for about seven years. Wow. So until I was comfortable that my crew you know, was making way beyond living, um, minimum wage. Yeah. So it's cool. And that makes coffee taste better too. I, I think that makes anyone's work better. It's a good, you know, and I've always, I've been really fortunate at Rose House. I've had the best people. Yeah. Agreed. Best crews. Mm-hmm. So uh, some have gone on to work with importers, and they're traveling the world, meeting the farmers. Uh, some have opened up their own coffee shops. So it's it's been good. It's been a good journey. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty special. It's I know that sounds kind of cheesy. I know, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, tell me a little bit about the the tasting room. Because that was super fascinating to me. I've actually learned a lot about business just based off of your tasting room. Oh, good. Yeah. We had just won the first Good Food Award for that Guatemalan coffee. Well, that's right. And hardly anybody knew about our coffee. We were not moving very much coffee. Um, And I didn't know... You know, and I, I think at the time, every bike event, I would be there with free coffee. Mm-hmm. So Spoke Fest, Summer Parkways, um, Bike to Work Breakfast. Ski, uh, uh, bike Swap. Bike Swap, Ski Swap. Anywhere anybody would let me be and pass out free coffee so I could give them my cards, too. Um, I was doing everything I could, and I still wasn't gaining any recognition. So... I just woke up one night, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I said, honey, honey, I know what we do. We tear my office wall out. We build a counter right there, and we build a tasting room, just like wineries would. Mm-hmm. So he said, yeah, yeah, and what's that going to cost? And I said, how about 10000 10000 We could do it for ten grand." He goes, uh-huh, and we went back to sleep. $100,000 later, yeah. we built a really beautiful, open to the public, six days a week, tasting room, and there's never a charge. And it helped. It made a difference. Then, of course, you know, I think since then, I think 26 of our coffees have won the Golden Bean Best mm-hmm. in North America. 26? 26. So now 27 of our coffees have won Best either Gold bronze or silver best in all of north america and it's like okay so we hang those up in there too Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're they're not in a real predominant place either they're just kind of over here on the side you know so but that was the purpose of the tasting room investing in giving to the community Mm -hmm. that's how i took it yeah um everything we do in business carrie and i yeah. It, how do we include community? How do we build community? And that's thanks to you. And it's changed our trajectory. Hasn't made us very wealthy. 
Same thing. It does not help there, that's for sure. But man, if you want if you want to build something that's richer than you can ever imagine, it's community. It's so satisfying. Yeah. Um, you know, and I did for years. I made a lot of money. Uh, and I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but I've never been happier now with a tenth of the income mm-hmm. than that which we had earned. Yeah. So happy. I mean, it's just glorious. Yeah. So. And it's all about good copy. Plus, it, you're you're here in the flesh. It's yeah. like it did not. It's a good life. It is an exceptionally good life, and almost everybody who comes into our lives are you know share the same values, mm-hmm. um, and they're basically happy people. <laughs> Cranky people we send to our competitors. <laughs> Isn't that right? I do. <laughs> So that just leads right into something that's been that I've been thinking about leading up to this podcast. Um, it kind of leads on your website that you've been a passionate contributor for good in Spokane. Actually, it does not say that. It I does not that, say that. It does not say that. <laughs> what motivates you to keep leading the charge with community building? Like, um, we know we know it's important, but what what keeps you motivated? Because there's no money in it. Joy. Yeah. Joy. Yeah. What's more joyful than just a good time? Mm-hmm. And usually those good times evolve around something you're putting in your mouth. Coffee, food, whiskey. But, you know, I could freely share coffee all day long. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, joy. Uh, one thing that keeps coming up, um, one thing that keeps coming up is a, another theme, uh, a pattern on the podcast, if you will. Um, is money is secondary. So success is happiness. And I, and I feel like um, if you treat your community, that, like your target audience, your community, um, what's most important to your business and yourself, it will give back. It may not be the way you think uh-huh. or you want, uh-huh. but it will give back and it won't, you won't be hurting because of it. But what's interesting is you don't, you don't adopt that attitude with the expectation that that's going to be your life. You mm-hmm. don't go into it with the expectation with I'm going to treat community really well and guess what's going to happen, you know. Um, you just do it because it's who you are and that's who you bring into your life and before you know it you have this huge community. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's just incredible. It's, it's incredible and it's cool that we can't really put our finger on how to explain it. I know. It's you, an acquired you, feeling. It is. Yeah. It is. That's pretty cool. I don't know. It is. It's kind of baffling the important things in life. You just can't explain it. It's a different story for everybody. Yeah. You know, a boat, another car, a pickup, a snowmobile. Yeah. What, what pleasure. I mean, it's exciting because, you know, I used to ride bikes, motorcycles too. And I loved it. It was mm-hmm. exciting as heck. But it was a solitary thing you did by yourself and yeah. you weren't sharing the joy with anybody and not that I would ever give up having had that experience yeah but maybe that helped you know really helped me understand my most joyous times and pleasurable times are when one of us or several of us get together I was going to say one of us like you and I or Jen and I or mm-hmm. uh, Adam and I or you know are together yeah yeah, yeah. and we're we're we doing it over food or liquid of some sort. Mm-hmm. 
And everybody knows I love whiskey. So. <laughs> um, I remember you, Aaron was on the scene by then. Yeah. Um, and you did a collaboration with, I think, Dry Fire or something like that. Put beans in a barrel. Uh-huh, we did. We put beans in a, no, it wasn't the, yes, it was. It was beans in a barrel. I used barrel and then um, roasted those and then made, you know, cold brew or different coffees with it. And it came out so different. Yeah. I mean, you could taste, you could taste the alcohol. Um, and it was, it was short-lived, though. You wind up moving on and using a different roaster. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess it would take a, it's, a, it's um, yeah, you almost have that. Well, like, to Aaron's credit, I've seen him do some pretty magical things with he does some crazy flavors. things with I know. coffee. Yeah, the hot chocolate he made for Crave this year. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. It was uh, for anyone listening. It, it was um, Roast House's instant coffee, uh-huh. which is really good in itself. But he he took packets and packets and packets of those, and then uh, added some habanero to it, and it had this chocolatey flavor. And it was like 30 seconds and all of a sudden you got heat in the back of your throat mm-hmm. from one, one, like a shot of coffee. One shot of coffee. Yeah, like a yeah. shot glass full of mm-hmm. this amazing liquid. And that's, that's what makes it so much fun. We mm-hmm. don't just serve coffee in lattes, mochas. Right. You know, uh, we take coffee and we play with it. A farmer friend of ours recently brought us six cases of fresh ripe cherries. Wow. So it took us two days at the at the roastery to take turns pitting all those cherries and then freezing them, flash freezing them, and then packaging them because we know we're going to do something with it. We just haven't come up with the thing. The thing yet. Um, but we've done that with cherries. We've done it with the blueberries. Um, yeah, we're having a great time. I love it. Um, I, I, I always, you know... Um, I guess in movies or whatever, you always see people shaking drinks and it's kind of a scene change, you know, whatever, a segue or something like that. I don't know. Right. Kind of a thing. I'd never even put two cents to it. Never even wasted a thought on it. And one Until. day <laughs> I'm at Roast House and Aaron is making these crazy drinks with a mm-hmm. cocktail shaker. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? And he starts telling me, oh, we're going to make these coffee cocktails and they're going to be awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sam's alcohol. Yeah, there's no alcohol. Right. Anyway, I just, I always was very, I always admired your take on taking coffee to a whole different place, not like a different level. Mm -hmm. It was still good coffee, but it was genius in the fact that it was, you're making an art out of it. Like, oh, what can we do with this? It was your new palette. And I think, you know, that was for our own enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And then we enjoyed it so much that we did share it with anybody who walked into the tasting room, which we still do today. Yeah. It's That's super cool. Never, we'll never stop innovating. I feel like I'm doing a massive injustice with my conversation here because there's so many good things that Roast House does, and we're just talking about the little fun things that oh, happen. Oh, the fun in, things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so directly from your website, um, it talks about liking people, um, and it says if there's one thing that we've learned over the past decade or so. It is that solving sustainability challenges must be a collective approach. Sustainability has become a competitive marketplace where we often look at individual efforts as a single factor of saving the world. But if we're honest, that's pretty silly. Pretty silly. Care to explain? Well, it's got to be all of us. I mean, all we can do is 
and this is for any any provider of food. Well, let's just stay within food. Nothing okay. else. No clothing or anything. Well, then again, how do you not touch clothing? <laughs> okay. Because so, clothing comes from cotton. Uh, yes, again, another very toxic crop. And, but let's go back to the coffee. We use it as a model. It isn't that we use sustainable coffees to set ourselves apart from everybody and try to capture the, our local market in its entirety. We use it as an example of a commodity. So if you think of um, palm oil, sugar, mm-hmm. cotton, um, what else? Tobacco. Rice. You know, rice. All those things that we're using, huge quantities that are changing our climate because we're doing it so badly. So as consumers, we are hoping that by hearing our model where we can preserve, even if it's only 1% of the world's coffee that's left, that's grown this way, we use that model as an example of what we should and we have to do. We have no choice. We just had the hottest month on record Mm -hmm. since we started recording climate. Um, It's destroying our ability to grow food and feed ourselves. So this is, the business is, while it's a lot of fun and it better be fun, (laughs) um, it's a model that we use to share the need to be sustainable across the board in everything, everything we do. You know, right now I think I've had a dozen calls from Apple and from Verizon with, hey, get a new iPhone. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to give you this special deal. It's like, well, I have a phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but your model is three models old. And it's like, you know what? It still works. Mm-hmm. And if we adopt what you're trying to get me to do is just throw something away and buy another one and just use more resources, shame on you. Mm-hmm. Shame on you. We can't do that. That's not our, we just as a species can't continue if we keep living like this. So it's... Yeah, I get deep down in this. Yeah, sorry yeah. about that. No, no, no need to be sorry. That's where the sustainability. That was a great explanation of sustainability. Am I wrong? I hope so. Yeah, okay. I, hope, I hope I'm wrong. What? You hope it was a good, good explanation. I hope of it was a good one. I think. I it think so. Goes a bit far. People actually roll their eyes. Nobody wants to feel bad about their personal habits and practices. Yeah, that's true. But damn, I don't know how else we're going to affect change. You know, I, I'm not comfortable at times when I realize I'm doing dumbass things. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to remind myself all the time. So, so let me ask, the, uh, the, I want to, uh, can, can you give me the, the not the 30,000 foot view, but maybe the 5,000 foot view of what, the definition of sustainability revolving around commodities is. So I I know I I get what you're Mm -hmm. saying, but I'm thinking there may be people listening to this that want to just have the, the, I'm I'm asking the stupid question that no one would be brave enough to ask the professional. I think it's, it's very simple. You know, we have to support commodities, whether it's palm oil, coffee, um, bananas, 
cacao that are grown in natural environments to support that because that gotcha. which is natural is really limited. We're down to just a few percent. So that's like 90-something percent has been eradicated. Mm-hmm. If you want these foods in the future, you're going to have to do the hard work of knowing where your product comes from. And I'm going to use coffee again because okay. I'm in it. But you have to know the companies you're working with, too. We're in a critical situation right now. If you don't do the work, okay, does my roaster have organic coffees? Because organic typically means shade-grown because it won't grow. If it's in a clear-cut environment, it won't grow without chemicals. So typically it means it's grown in a natural, sustainable environment. Not sustainable, but... Natural environment that's not been deforested. And then you have to ask yourself, does that roaster have one organic coffee out of 10? And they're using that one coffee to greenwash their company to get you to support them. Then I'm going to throw out the name of Starbucks because I've really been watching, researching, Mm -hmm. watching their model for years. And you go into a... Starbucks store, and you'll see all this information from the bathrooms on forward of rainforest, fair trade, organic. You see all that verbiage. Go up to the counter and ask them for a cup of organic coffee. Doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's on the shelves behind, you know, behind mm-hmm. the bar. Not behind the bar, but behind you. Uh, merchandise. And, you know, they're really playing on that green. That's greenwashing. Yeah. While how many thousands of pounds a day are not organic? And they're making a huge profit because, again, organic coffee can easily be 100% more expensive than the non-organic counterpart. So they're making the money. They're using the greenwashing. And we're smart enough to be able to disseminate that, to know that. Mm-hmm. If we just look at it and put the effort into doing that. So now do it with sugar. Do it with maple syrup. Do it with coconut oil. Do it with chocolate. Do it with banana. Do it with oranges, tomatoes, strawberries. Gotcha. Do it. And if a company only has one or two, they're not 100% committed, kick them to the curb. And if you don't, it's you and your children and your grandchildren who are going to they're going to live without a lot of the products mm-hmm. that we enjoy today. They'll be synthetic mm-hmm. it's like if they have to exist. Vanilla. Yeah. What, 90% of the vanilla you find on the store shelves now, it's synthetic because it's almost gone. It's, it's, like, it's insane. It's like $400 a pound for vanilla. So, yeah, do the work. So um, any grocery store you go into, you can get carrots or you can get carrots from the organic section. Mm-hmm. They're, they're more money. How do you know that that homework has been done, is it greenwashed? How would we know from from Deb Deb's point of view? How would I go to a grocery store and know the bananas I'm buying organic are truly organic? How would I know the, um, what's another example, uh, the, the, the co- coconut oil? Mm-hmm. Well, one, you know, the country of origin has to go through certification. They have to mm-hmm. go through a whole process and they have to show their steps. And that's the green label. Uh-huh. And they have to white document and it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then when it's imported to the United States, it 
the company who distributes it here has to go through the steps and the processes. Now, it could be food distributors are representing non-organic and organic. Mm-hmm. You know, food wholesalers like, I don't know, URM, Rosars, somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think when it comes to our wholesale distributors that we can demand just one, even though I think there might be one or two out there that do that. So you're going to look for the label that says organic, mm-hmm. and you're going to look for the USDA label because that's a second step to guarantee okay. that it is organic. Now, can farmers actually slip something in there at the last minute before something's distributed? Possibly. It's not 100%. Gotcha. So. But it's, it's, it's a proof of ethics. It is. It's a, that if they've made it to USDA stamp and organic stamp mm-hmm. you're you're doing your due diligence you're you're, you're your, there yeah and you know it's interesting because every year we have to recertify ourselves and every bean we have has to be accounted for so if we take um, three different coffees and we make a blend mm-hmm. out of it we have to be able to show usda what percentage of what beans so let's just say we buy a thousand pounds of every coffee okay and we have 12 different coffees mm-hmm. We have to show where every ounce of that coffee went. And if we use some of it in this blend and then another blend and then another blend, we actually have to show that documentation for every ounce of every bean we buy so that the general public is assured that every coffee in our warehouse is 100% certified organic. And it's a hell of a process and it's expensive. Every year, it's thousands of dollars to us. And they come and check. Uh, oh, You're yeah. audited, it's all you? day. It's all day long, yeah. from morning till night. Um, the documentation of every roast has, you know, every roast has to be documented. Uh, yeah, it is. It's arduous. I've seen the binder. I think you, I, I think yeah. Aaron's now using laptops. Yeah, now we're using a laptop. <laughs> I remember the binder. <laughs> so. Stopwatch and uh huh, it's awesome, yeah, it very was. well documented. Um, and it's a pain, it really is. Um, but it's part so of the necessary. process, it's just necessary. So, have you been audited before all the time? Yeah, and oh man, that's just every crazy. year, every year, interesting. So, so then take it to let's say a partner, uh, uh let's say a coffee shop partner is using Rose House Coffee, and we're staying that, um. We're using Rose House Coffee, and it's 100% organic, sustainable, et cetera, et cetera. But no one ever sees a bag of coffee in the in the coffee shop. Okay. So now I'm taking myself out of Spokane, and I'm going to, let's say, Portland. And I go to a coffee shop, and they're serving a, roast, a locally roasted coffee that's 100% organic, but I don't see a bag, and I have no way of validating it. What, what's the takeaway from that? Like, what would you... You know what I do is when I'm exploring a company, I go to their website. Mm-hmm. You cannot advertise at all organic in on your website unless you are. Okay. You know? So I go onto the website and I just go through and just see if I'm seeing that certification. If I'm not seeing it, I walk away. Yeah. I write them off. So so let's say um, derailer coffee and they, they serve roast house coffee. Okay. Um, do they, can they put the, only on a roast house bag, 
So it could be a photo of a roast house bag to prove that it's... They can have a roast house bag. <laughs> you know, our customers are more than welcome to put our bags on their shelves. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and we bag it. So mm-hmm. now we're making sure. And I think that's more recent. I'm sorry. I moved away from the mic. <laughs> didn't even notice. You didn't notice. Um, until recently, we gave customers a stack of unused coffee bags with the certifications because we sold them a coffee, the coffee in a five-pound bag, right? And then we let them fill on demand so that bags of coffee didn't sit around and get old. Oh, interesting. We can't do that anymore. Oh, gotcha. The coffees have to go out in a bag. They have to be sealed in order to have that certification on it. So that line of distribution has to remain intact. Hmm. So it's a lot. And so, so, but let's say now another coffee shop decides, like my sisters, I use my coffee in Temecula and in Pasadena, and they have their own bag with their own label. They cannot use the word organic on their bag, only on our bag. That the design's been approved and accepted by USDA. So it's interesting because my sisters do everything organic, mm-hmm. and now they can't even use that on their bag. Hmm. So all they can tell their customers is, here is our roaster, here is the product, and, and it shows it's certified. But that's a pain. That's a Other, long conversation. Otherwise, they're going to have to go through what we go through and pay the thousands of dollars to go through the inspections and stay up with that. So it's a little hard hmm. for secondary distribution unless they use the roast house bag. Yeah. So that'd probably be a good way to go anyway. Yeah. But they, there's so many cool, cool ways to go and design these days. Oh, it's so much fun. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so it also says that women produce coffees caught my attention. And I really like this. Gender, equi- uh, gender equity is friggin' important. <laughs> Direct it is. quote. It is. As, as a woman-founded, owned, and operated company, it's stupid important that we focus our sourcing energy to work it with groups promoting a sustainable future for women and families. Um, and we currently source several women producer groups to play a crucial role in our core blends, but are also top-notch as single origins. Yeah. So can you break it down a little bit? Like, Definitely. What does that mean? And, and it, the cool thing I want to point out, we're in a, in a toxic environment when you start talking about women-owned and things like that. People can get a little weird about that. Mm-hmm. Your website does not come, alike, uh, come across that way, and I think that's because it's your personality. Okay, good. Yeah, good, so I I'm, I'm wanted the caveat. Don't be worried. What you're yeah, about to hear is awesome. We're, we're not <laughs> men-haters. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> considering that most of the coffee in the world is picked and processed by women and they don't get paid for it, typically the money goes right to a husband, a father, uh, an uncle. Um, so the women really never see it. And the village as a whole never sees, I should not say never, often doesn't see what they as a village earned mm-hmm. because the men take the beans to market, they generally don't come home right away. They might be in town for a few days. And by the time they come home, they can have considerably less money than what they earned for selling their product. So it has been proven that when women are paid directly, 
and there has to be um, the assurance that that will happen. So it's usually a nonprofit that monitors when we work with these these communities. Mm-hmm. It's proven that domestic violence decreases considerably. Children get fully educated and they get fed versus the three, five, six months a year that the families would go hungry. Mm-hmm. Plus then the crop, the product is usually better too because women are picking it by hand. They're mm-hmm. a little more nimble. They've proven that too yeah. with their fingers and they're picking just the ripest of Natural coffees. ability. Yeah. yeah, picking the ripest of coffees because they want to make sure they're really good for themselves. For mm-hmm. their, yeah. And they're proud of what they're doing. Um, and then we just we win these awards because the coffee is so exceptionally good. <laughs> amazing. So, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and the nice thing is when families don't have to leave their farms off-season and go north looking for jobs, um, they stay. They nurture the land. They nurture the trees. They take care of it. It increases production of the product. The trees just produce better. The soil is you know, more stable and fertile without chemicals mm-hmm. yeah it's just healthier all the way around yeah so. um women-owned farms not necessarily women-owned okay yeah usually it's family-owned interesting but it's women doing the work and women getting paid and so those are the only farms you support no gotcha no there's not enough of them gotcha but we we're always on the lookout mm-hmm. we're always looking we're always exploring uh, a couple of years ago, I went to Rwanda. Because Rwanda, Uganda, Kenya, a couple of other African countries right there in that area, realizing that their greatest export and most profitable can be coffee, and that when women were doing it, they earned more. So hmm. the governments actually got behind pulling all these women together in a conference and, and teaching and sharing the importance of, you know, how to, how to pick, when to pick, how to process everything. And, you know, that whole thing was led by David Griswold of Sustainable Harvest out of Portland. Mm. He's like the largest importer of organic coffees in the world. But David saw the importance of that 30 years ago as wow. a young man just you know, traveling through coffee lands. So... It's, That's awesome. It's, it's on the rise. It's it's a happening thing. Well, on the on the early on when I was starting to understand what Roast House was doing, your 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 mission, if you will, um, you told me something about Congo. Yeah. The um, heart wrenching. Yeah, and is that a place of because of the men got killed? Well, you know, the African nations. So many of them are as actually. Let's back that up. Almost all coffee lands. Uh, unstable, you know, unstable governments and a lot of rebel action. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's uh, life-threatening. Hmm. So at the time with um, the Congo, um, there was, because of the rebel action, children from the ages of eight or something would be kidnapped. The men were slaughtered. So the women were existing with these tiny children and they were still under threat. They couldn't actually um, farm their, their trees, take mm-hmm. care of their trees during the day. Um, they would hide. They would hide in the forest. And then at night, 
under the cover of dark, they would come in and work on their coffee trees, pick the beans, and then they would actually roam across Lake Kivu into Rwanda and try to sell them that way to Mm. support themselves, to feed themselves. And that was the first women-grown, women-processed coffee that we got behind. Mm. And I don't know, do you remember when we had that tasting at the coffee shop and it tasted like a 50-50 bar. You know those orange-coated yeah. vanilla ice cream? Yes. That's I do what remember it that. tasted like. Yeah. It was so crazy. And then Bill Bloom worked with me for a while, a short period of time, and he got behind and created a marketing for, I mean, a label, a talking piece, posters, and, you know, we had no mm-hmm. money at all. And we did this. Just as cheaply as we could. Organically. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we went to one of the S, uh, SCA International Coffee Shows mm-hmm. in Seattle. And we couldn't afford a booth. But David had one. The Congo had one. And they had all our marketing materials there. Wow. We couldn't get their coffee anymore because the price doubled and tripled. And they sold it to big coffee companies mm-hmm. that saw that and saw the value or the emotional value to yeah, get yeah. behind this. So we lost that farm or the ability to get their coffee at all. But, you know, while we were a little upset that we lost it, we were tickled. Tickled. That because, they're winning. Yeah. The women, they, they became a form of protection. Mm-hmm. You know, it really drew attention to that area and what was happening. And, and they continue today and they've grown considerably. So, so good. And almost every group that we have worked with, it's, it's almost similar. If we do too good of a job with the marketing, we lose it, you know, because one of the big boys come in and pick it up. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, but, but that's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. We just have to work finding more. <laughs> so, and again, I guess that's a win-win. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's amazing. Says on the next section of your website, we're just like tearing apart your website today. I love this. I love it. Um, It says, let me get to it because I don't want to misquote it. Um, I just wrote it down, but I can't find the right spot. Roasted like we care. You deserve great coffee. Here's where we blabber on about. (laughs) 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 I wonder who wrote this. Here's where we blabber on about how there is no one on the face of the earth that roasts as good as we do. Every bean is carefully roasted individually under very tiny flame until perfection is achieved by our roasting team. But there are tons of great roasters out in the world, so why scoop up a bag of coffee from us? And I'll just let you answer that question. Well, besides being delicious, (laughs) it is sustainable and it's going to take you into the future. It's going to guarantee it'll be there in the future for you. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, that is the reason why. Support sustainable production. Yeah. Well, there was a lot more. I'm just going to read it because it's very eloquent. Okay. <laughs> I can tell someone thought about this. <laughs> to be fair to the discipline of the craft, our roasting and sourcing team works extremely hard to create a spectrum of flavor profiles. Mm-hmm. That's so. From an orange 50-50 bar yep. to um, the time we had the Brazilian, um, from the same farmer that we get sweet blue, we got a... Um, of just one bag of this coffee that tasted like pineapple. So talk about spectrum, oranges, 
pineapple. I mean, and that pineapple coffee went for $48 a hundred grams um, to cocoa nuts. You know, I mean, we've had coffee that tastes like cocoa puffs, you know, and it's just because that is the coffee. So coffee can offer you so many different tastes if you just do it right. Mm -hmm. So Agreed. Um, Our classics hold down the comforting flavor profiles that we think fondly of. Single origin showcase the wild nature of coffee. Pineapple. (laughs) Bam. As a plant, different... As a plant, different varieties carry organic compounds ranging from chocolate to citrus to florals. When you introduce experimental processing methods, those flavors get turned all the way up to 11. I know. It's just crazy. It's so true. And you wouldn't know it unless you actually went and experienced it. And that's what's, I think that's what gets me so stoked about coffee. Mm-hmm. My friends and family think I'm a little off because, you know. Well, we all know you are. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but I think. So many of us, we just are. We appreciate really fine, lovely things. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I think most of my friends aren't real well-to-do, the fine, lovely things are food, liquid, mm-hmm. so plants. You know, just the simple things. The simple things. And then elevate so, it. And then elevate it. Yeah. yeah. It's like with anything in life. You want it extra good, mm-hmm. it only takes five extra minutes. Just, just a few. Yeah. So. It's yeah. pretty cool. Um, I think it, it uh, First Avenue had espresso tonic. Yeah. And the barista there was just like, understood that this is going to be a little different. Like, you have never had an espresso tonic before. I mean, yeah. no, who has? I mean, uh-huh. I had it. I want it. Like, it is so cool how the espresso had a flavor that you've never had before. Mm-hmm. But then... You treat it like a traditional cocktail, put a little bitters in it, and throw some, not throw, gently Toss. infuse. <laughs> gently infuse, okay. <laughs> anyway, it was, a, it was an experience, right? And yeah, so I think that there's, like even at home when we have guests over, um, I mean, I've, I've gone deep. I have an espresso bar at my house. Yes, you do. And you. Uh, teacup lattes are so fun to make. Because uh-huh. people aren't used to the strength of a espresso shot. Mm-hmm. And when you acquire an, a, a taste for an Americano, you're winning. Yep. But um, to make a traditional latte is a little bit much for a, a house guest. So we take these really cool teacups and we split the shot and then oh, pour, nice. pour Doyle's latte art, which oh, is I basically a cappuccino. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's exceptional coffee. Yeah. You know, my favorite coffee, uh, coffee drink, it, well, not favorite coffee drink, but mixed coffee drink. Mm-hmm is uh, growing up on the East Coast, we had a bottled soda called YooHoo. Yeah. And it was a chocolate soda. Yeah. Well, I, I love making those at First Avenue with a shot of espresso in it. Yeah. So just soda water, a little bit of chocolate, a shot of coffee. And it's so good. Mind-blowing. It is. I'm going to have to get that next time I go there. Yeah, go ahead next time you're there. <laughs> so I guess this question that I just asked, and we just answered would come from the place of the 90% of your customers that are appreciating an excellent cup of coffee and come back because of that and don't even think twice about the fact that they're yeah, they don't supporting a, yeah. a, a mission. Um, how can we care more? Like, what, what's going to start that conversation to the 90%? I think it's <laughs> like the podcast. It's marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've never had a budget, we've, an advertising budget. Um, I wish we could do more. 
um, but our margins are so narrow. So I guess it's just things like this. Keep on going. Across the table and having this discussion and marketing within our environments, doing a better job with posters, information, uh, TV screens, as you have discussed, Mm -hmm. uh, really sharing why. So... I guess. It's, yeah, I know. Keep pouring coffees. I mean, we were averaging pouring at least 10,000 free cups of coffee a year at community events. Um, and we just keep hammering it home. Yeah. My crew gets so tired of hearing me when we have guests come in, you know, sharing the same stuff over and over and over. It's like, but they're new people. Yeah. They haven't yeah, heard absolutely. It. They haven't heard it. And it, um, it is a, in business, in general, that's that's a good practice. Is like your employees should hear your mission statement before every meeting, mm-hmm. before you address any kind of situation. It's a reminder of the mission statement, um, and the list goes on. And I've heard it said. I, it was a book I read. I, I should probably dig it up. I harp on books, and then I hardly read them. Uh-huh. Um, but it was said that actually it was simply awesome. Simply. It's a it's a really good book. It talks okay. about your mission, your um, vision, mission, and values. Okay. Once you have them and how it increases your business because your employees get behind what your business is. And I, I know this is all meaningless to most, but to me it became a really pivotal thing. And here's where I've let it down. In the book, he says, you should share your mission statement before every meeting. It should be on your wall in three different places. Uh-huh. You should talk about it all the time. And then when you're tired of talking about it and you think you've said it enough, do it one more time do because more people time. need to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what surprises me, too, is as much as I talk about it and I harp on this, I still have customers who have been supporting us for years and will say, oh, is that, that blend also organic? <laughs> so, yeah, they're all organic. Yep. Yeah. We paid for the sticker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we earned the sticker. <laughs> so, but they, they yeah. just don't know. I mean, we've supported the Lands Council mm-hmm. um, for, forever. And those employees don't know our product is 100% organic. And the, the reason we're behind them, right, is we want to preserve what's left of our environment within our area. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it. Yeah. It's a lot. And then have a cup of coffee. And then say it again. And then say it again. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you just pointed out something. We don't have it written on our walls. What's holding you back? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, that was good. That was good. Well, thank you. Thank I'm you. happy to help. You're welcome. <laughs> it is at First Avenue. Did you notice in the windows? It's all along the front of the windows yeah. at Counter Height. It's organic, fair trade, mm-hmm. sustainable. Good. Yeah. And it says, it says something about women. Uh, women grown. Women grown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so women grown coffee. Yeah, or women premiums. I'm not sure how I worded that, but. Anyway, yeah. Thoughts on networking? This is a big deal to me. Uh, what are What do you think in general? Like from Deb De Bernardo's brain, what is networking to you? It is literally the most important thing you can do. You can either put your money in product that you put in people's hands, or you can just advertise, which is very impersonal. And the wonderful thing about those ten thousand cups every year we give away. We have a chance 
to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And we have a chance to hear from people. We don't lecture. We get feedback, and we use that feedback. And that's 10,000 more chances of more relationships, 10,000 more relation, potential relationships every and, year. And it's, um, it doesn't really affect your bottom line. It improves it. it, it. Yeah, it improves it, but uh, agree. Yeah. yeah, that's where yeah, I was yeah. going to go with it. Yeah, it Nailed does. It. And you know, there's it's been so effective. I I can't go anywhere in Spokane without people coming up to me and talking to me. Mm-hmm. And it's in, for me, I feel embarrassed because I don't know how I know them. <laughs> but you give away thousands of cups every year for fourteen years. You know, people know that? you, and they do. I I was at the San Francisco airport. And somebody came up to me and started talking to me. They mm. were from Spokane. They had, they knew about the roastery. They had seen the articles. And boom, can we have your autograph? And wow. It was like, oh, wow, you've got Next to be level. kidding. Next <laughs> you've level. You've got to be kidding. <laughs> so, but yeah. Networking's everything. Networking is everything. So, so Besides selling your product, look at all the relationships. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And yeah, it's not even about selling. It's, it's more about the relationship. You never know when you're going to need help. And uh-huh. they never know when they're going to need help. Exactly. And we can cross, collab, we can collaborate, we can help, we can help each other. Yep. It's pretty cool. I love running into my competition at any kind of networking situation because you can talk, talk from the trenches. You can share oh, the stories. So when you're talking about networking, do you mean like a networking event? Not necessarily. Okay. To me, there's, there's a pl- that's one of the platforms mm-hmm. for networking. Okay. But there's, um, you can network on Twitter. Yeah. You can network in Facebook groups. Um, you can network at the roast house. Yeah. Over a cup of coffee with a bunch of people that are passionate about coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, you can network at a coffee shop. Right. While you're there, like, there's always cool people to meet. Anyway, I wasn't trying to make it a trick question, and your answer was very appropriate because um, I witnessed that from the very beginning. You invited me to your one-year anniversary party at the Roast House on Twitter. And it, at the time, I was dealing with a bad accident and all that kind of stuff. It was an ugly situation for my family, and we were just on the other side of getting on our feet. Mm-hmm. And I was able to start working for a living, and I was doing it on the Internet. Um, at the time, I was doing it without pay because yeah. I had to prove I could do it, right? Tell me. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, common ground mm-hmm. so roast house coffee invites me to their one-year anniversary party and i knew i could make it but it was the first time i'd done something um where i knew i was going to enjoy myself and okay. i didn't tell my family about it so it was kind of a weird thing uh-huh. right like uh-huh. i knew this was going to benefit me somehow in the business okay but i was also going to be enjoying myself right that was my own psychological problem okay so i show up and i felt like I had just won the jackpot because I saw these people that I would have never met before. And there was one person from a networking thing that had happened that day that was there as well. And we were having conversations and I'd Isn't never great. Yeah. Yeah. Prior to that, I'd only done blue collar and I was in my own little world uh-huh. for 12 years with the same people every single day of my working life. And then I had my friends. I'd never interacted with anyone in the city before. And so Coming to the roast house, seeing and seeing how you work the crowd, and people were all excited and freely giving, and freely getting. Yeah. Anyway, it was kind of my aha moment. Like, 
got to figure this out. And so I spent a lot of time at your roast house, just seeing how you put people at the bar and let them pull shots and yeah. figure it out. And the, the anniversary parties, which again, our 14th is January 4th, this upcoming year, um, is a big thank you. So we do all the food prep. We mm-hmm. come up with wild coffee drinks. <laughs> and, and, and I always, on invitations, I say, Deb will accept a bottle of bourbon or whiskey <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and I think one year we got like 20-something bottles. Wow. You know, it was just crazy. It was funny. It was, I really never expected yeah. people to do that. I just thought it was funny. Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> but we do try to have... Uh, two, three events every year yeah. where we're just inviting uh, customers and friends just as a big thank you. Mm-hmm. So from people who buy our coffee at Huckleberry's or, you know, at Super One um, or Natural Grocers, it's just, a yeah, you buy a pound every couple of weeks, come to our party. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you for doing this. You buy 50 pounds a week, come to our party. Bring a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> Because you buy 50 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> you earned the right. <laughs> That's pretty um, funny. Yeah. Well, um, man, time's flying. I'm having a lot of fun. Talk to, talk about First Avenue. Let's this talk what, about First yeah. Avenue. So, so Is this where we announce what's going on? Let's save it for just a little longer. Okay. This is you right now. Okay. Um, okay, let's do it. Okay, here we go. So as of today, Doyle and Kerry Wheeler are the new owners of First Avenue Coffee. I just got a chill. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Now, let's back that up. Okay. Only I just lost the thought. Um, oh, when we're talking about networking. And a yeah. moment ago, you were talking about how important that networking mm-hmm. is. Knowing people, being able to rely on people. So when, uh, when I made the decision that I had to let go of First Avenue due to my health, you were one of five people I thought of to call and say, ask. You know? And so instead of going on the open market, mm-hmm. I called five different people that I knew, that I knew were passionate, and I knew you had no experience in retail environment, but... There, I had five people to choose from, and man, you just raised your hand right away and said, I want to do it. And I just, after we hung up, I cried because it was oh. so quick. I didn't, have to, I didn't have to do anything but reach out to people I knew that I'd met throughout the business. And I can't think of a more perfect couple to take over this baby, <laughs> you know, that I, I swore. I told everybody forever, I will never do a retail coffee shop. I will never, 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 never. And you know, every time somebody says never, don't listen to them. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Because you're actually speaking it into existence. Even though you're saying never, never, <laughs> you're, you're making it happen. Um, and we had a glorious time. You know, we were open, what, a year? And mm-hmm. then the second year was COVID. The third year was COVID. So year four and now year five. It's finally working. So mm-hmm. now it's, it is a model and it is a viable business that I'm proud to be able to turn over to somebody else to take it further. So anyway, there we go. The wheelers are now 
in the wheelhouse in the first <laughs> avenue <laughs> that's funny well we're honored to be honest mm-hmm. i don't even th- we when when you asked me yeah i was actually smart and i went and talked to carrie yeah you did because my first gut reaction is is this happening and i i, I was at a stoplight thinking about it oh i didn't well, know yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, um i was on the way to town okay. so you texted me uh-huh. and it started sinking in like this could actually be a thing because let me backpedal um carrie and i have always wanted to have a venue or a coffee shop to serve people mm-hmm. and we always knew in some way it would have coffee it would ha- have something to do with coffee we besides a coffee bar in your house well, there is that. Yeah. So, I mean, besides that one. Besides on that one. On a bigger one. scale. On a bigger scale. For profit. Uh-huh. We, want, we wanted to do something that we could engage with people over something that we actually really appreciate. I wouldn't say we love coffee because we love each other. Yeah. We don't want to. I, I'm just being yeah. weird. Yes, you are. We love That's coffee. That's okay. But we yeah. absolutely love coffee. Doyle loves the process. This mm-hmm. is speaking for myself. Carrie loves good coffee. Uh-huh. And she's more about understanding the flavors and how it could palate with something else, you know, um, putting it in recipes, things like that. Yeah. I'm about the process. I mm-hmm. love knowing how it was roasted, knowing the people that roast it, and then the process. I'm a mechanical nerd, uh-huh. and um, I like equipment that does cool stuff, and what better way? Uh-huh. Espresso it, machines. It, it, takes, it takes different personalities to yeah. make these things work. So that was the vibe, and we, we were kind of like, it's going to happen. We just need the funds to do it and et cetera, et cetera. And then I get this text and I'm like, I don't know if I should even say anything to Carrie, you know, cause we're, we're moving forward on a different company, a kinetic. Anyway, I was at a stoplight and I'm, I remember actually like pinching myself. And then I looked at my text again and then the light turned green and I went home and Hey, hon, you, you're never going to believe the text I just got. And I said, I know why I got it, and I, and I don't like the reason I got it. But Deb asked if we would be open to owning First Avenue. And she's like, are you serious? And she's like, is Deb okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so anyway, and then she's like, well, of course. And I couldn't believe it. And then it was, do you know how much work that's going to be? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, are you open to that? I'm like, yeah. She's like, I'm only doing this because Deb asked. Wow. So there you go. And, and I pinched myself when you got back to me so quick because I really was terrified because my lease was expiring. Mm-hmm. My, I just, my health was, you know, as is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew, I knew I didn't have time, you know, to do the typical, put, the, put it up on the market and look for yeah. somebody. So you got back to me within days. We... We want to do this. We need to do a little bit of work yeah. to determine if we really can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my gosh, within a couple of weeks, we had a commitment. And then it took just a couple of months. And here we are. Yeah. So um, one of my favorite things about First Avenue is the mod bars. I love them. Oh, it's so cool. And it's not like it's the only coffee shop that does it. But the way Aaron, you and Aaron, and I was part of that process. You were. I remember when you had it taped out. Uh, you had the design taped out. And you had you had photocopies of where all the group Equipment heads were going to Equipment was going to go, how far apart. <laughs> that uh, taped countertop is still on the floor mm-hmm. of our warehouse. We've never been able to get the tape up. <laughs> it's so, hard once it's there And it's for like, long hey, you know what? This is just cool. It's iconic. Let's just leave it there. Yeah. So, yeah. 
um, yeah, you were part of that. I remember it all. And um, anyway, I don't want to belabor this, but I'm super excited and we're super honored to do this. And I think that'll always be kind of the background music is mm -hmm. um, Deb did this. Deb did this. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I think it's cool. Carrie and I love Rose House Coffee. Mm -hmm. And we've, we have tried others to validate it. Yeah. And it's true. It, we feel way better with roast house coffee for obvious reasons. We may have a sensitive gut. I don't know. Um, but it well, tastes you know, good. Well, it's proven that yeah. um, the, when the coffee's hand-sorted and there's no mold, the mold does cause digestional issues. Absolutely. So we didn't realize for years, but we kept hearing from customers all the time, you know, I had to quit drinking coffee because it hurt my stomach so bad. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why we can drink your coffee. And we said, we don't know why either. <laughs> you know? And then it's like, oh, let's see. You winnow it down and it's like, okay, the absence of defects. So, you know, I should retract what I had just said, though. There are a few coffee shops like Rockwood Bake mm -hmm. in the Meeting House. Um, there's quite a restaurants. Derailer Coffee. That serve our coffee. Derailer up in Hilliard just opened, and they serve roast house. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And there's a new French restaurant. I, I'm I'm taking Carrie there because it looks really good. Is this the one right here downtown? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't gone there. Aaron went. Um, I'm backing away at roast house. Gotcha. You know, uh, again, you know, it's just something I need to be doing. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of losing track of who our new customers are. Yeah, no worries. Because all I do is I work with Aaron and Allison as they're taking over day-to-day -day management, and they actually have for the mm -hmm. last year incredibly well. Um, and I'm just there to answer difficult questions for them mm -hmm. and then socialize a bit with customers. So, but, That's good. Yeah. So I do have a few questions that okay. we ask all our guests, and I'm excited to hear your answers. Um, and again, all my guests have been asked this, so these okay. aren't trick questions. Okay. And some are short, some are long. Um, what would you tell a future business owner thinking of starting up in the Inland Northwest? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whatever comes to your mind first. Know your market. Hmm. Have some reserves. You know, some financial reserves. We were in a unique position. Um, Yeah, know your market. Again, it just keeps coming down to do the work. Yeah. I'm like, almost every aspect of our life is do the work. Know yeah. what you're getting into. Don't go in blind. What would you say to encourage a business owner in our community to inspire them to just keep on going? Well... Let's see, 14 years business that is truly profitable. It took six, seven years to get there. So be prepared. Somebody's got to keep working. Uh, but keep doing it. But you have to keep researching. You can't just sit back. If things aren't working, you can't just keep doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So we weren't gaining market share at all, so we opened a tasting room. Mm -hmm. That was a shift. You know, I can keep doing what I'm doing, and I'm going to keep working for no money forever, 
and then get disgusted and close down my business or I'm going to shift. Pivot. Pivot. Well said. Um, the, uh, any simple advice from your complete experience in business, um, what would you give a current or future business owner? You better love what you're doing. You can either do it for money and not find a lot of joy, or you can just do it for joy because you love it. And get paid to do it. And get paid to do it. Take what you can get. Okay, let's get personal. Okay. Ready? Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. It's fine. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not worried. <laughs> um, so this is the point in the podcast where we ask every every one of our guests some of their favorite things about Spokane. Oh, what do you love most about Spokane? Oh, I think I love just the landscape. I love the river. I love the trees. I love our boulevards. Um I love the, well, man, the way the restaurant scene has really popped. Amazing. Oh, my goodness. I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy. When I first moved here in 1980, it was like, what Chuck wagon. am I doing here? You had you the know? Chuck wagon and racks. You come out of New York, <laughs> you know, and you in Spokane and Denny's and Pancake House and the Rid Path. Was the oh, nicest, yeah, they were good. Right? Sea galley. A sea galley. Oh, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> I was not a happy girl. <laughs> so we have, yeah, we have great restaurants, great scenery. Uh, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. I w- I'd never live anywhere else. Oh, there you go. I, I'm retiring it. here. <laughs> Whenever that happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's your favorite place to eat in Spokane, talking about food? Oh, man. Adam, don't hate me, but Italia Trattoria and Adam's Francais, two distinctly different foods. Um, but being an Italian New Yorker, Italia. And I've tried all the Italian restaurants in town, even the newest ones, and Italia is it. So, uh, damn, I love Adam's Francais up there in Perry. Isn't it delicious? It's so, you know, it's... It's just good food, mm-hmm. and the environment's great, and, and I love that I can get in there at any time. <laughs> All I have to say is, this is Deb. <laughs> and you're in. And I'm in. So, so. Italia Trattoria, uh-huh. um, one of the most unspoken chefs in the city. Yeah. Um, James Beard contestant a couple mm-hmm. of different times, runner-up. Uh, she's from Switzerland? Interesting. I didn't know that. Switzerland. Yeah, and she learned to cook in Europe. Okay. So, um, you know, and her, I think that you have the French region of Switzerland, the Italian. Mm. Um, so heavily northern Italian influence in her cooking. Uh, and she is she is a stickler. Yeah. I think, yeah, she's a stickler. She Beyond passion. That, yeah. Everything, it's very precise. She doesn't mess around. No. She pulls in some incredible ingredients besides I'm, making most of her own pastas, too. I'm slipping on her name. Yeah. What's her Anna, name? Anna. Anna. And Beth are yeah. the two owners. Okay. Anna Vogel. Anna Vogel. Gotcha. Okay. We've, we, um, we, we try and get there every, at least once a year because the food is so good. I try not eating there every week. <sighs> so 
I that is one place I will pay to buy spaghetti. Yeah, so yeah. good. Me too. And I make good Italian yeah. food. Um, but I will. I'll get the spaghetti and meatballs at times. So good. Um, yeah, I miss some of the more traditional Sicilian foods. Mm-hmm. But they have squid ink pasta. Yep. They have quail. They have boar. They have they have so many things that you wouldn't typically get in a restaurant here yeah. or an Italian restaurant. Anyway, so it's super fabulous. good. It is. It's good. Where's your favorite coffee shop? Well, I hate to say that, but First Avenue, <laughs> my favorite coffee shop. What's my next favorite? Shop? Yeah, what's your next favorite? Rockwood Bakery. Another m- unspoken location. And you know, Cammy's been. Uh, I mean, look at the baked goods she makes. Oh, you know, crazy good. And it's not that far from my house. Mm. So and yeah, they yeah. It's amazing. Favorite activity in Coeur d'Alene or Spokane? I'm currently, you know, I had to give up cycling, but I bought a kayak. Oh, nice. Yeah. You're and liking just, it? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I've always loved the water. I used to scuba dive, I, whatever, um, river rafting. I like being on the water. So, And that's what's so incredible about Spokane is downtown. When I feel like I want to punch people <laughs> because I'm so upset about something, um, I walk back and forth across the river on our pedestrian bridges. Oh, interesting. I just hang over one of the bridges and watch the water, you know, go down along where it follows the falls. Ah, oh, man. That's soothing. Oh, it's so soothing. Absolutely. It's so calming. Yeah. Yeah, it's better than whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is there any books that you've read in recent years that you think would be helpful to somebody listening to the podcast that might help them in their business? No, I have. I don't read business books anymore. Um, I read, I read novels, and I'm so terrible because I'm in the middle of one right now and I can't even tell you the name of it. <laughs> You sound like the kind of reader I am. I'm a voracious reader. I read every day. I go to sleep at night listening to novels. You know, I mean, I just, words, words. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It calms me down, too. Yeah. Otherwise, if if I'm not listening to a podcast or a story, my brain is just going at 100 <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> And then the foot on the gas pedal, you know, faster, faster, faster. So, But when I listen to things, it's calming and soothing. And it's words. Music doesn't have the same effect. So reading and listening to stories, information. Yeah, yeah. very calming. Well, that pretty much does it. That's okay. been a lot of fun. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come hang with me. What a pleasure. It was super fun. Yeah, it's good. And it was a perfect way to announce what's going on. I agree. We've been talking, you know, the employees have kind of known about it. Some, a lot of friends have kind of known about it. Um, so here we go. Boom. This was a solid way of doing it, to be totally honest. Truly, With Deb. Truly lovely. I know. I kind of wish Jim and Carrie were here, but it's I know. Fine. We kind of did it without them, didn't I know. we? I know. Though, that's because of our personalities. I guess so. We just... We don't think twice. We just do it. Well, Carrie and I are trying to figure out a way to make it 
you know, official without bringing attention to us. It's not really the point, but have fun with it. Yeah. There may or may not be a blueberry pancake feed coming up. A little homage to bike to work week or mountain gear, fish, all the roast house days with coffee and pancakes. (laughs) Yes. I don't know. Yeah. I'm a a sentimental loser. Paul Fish has always done the pancakes. I know. So you think you can get them down first? Mm. I don't know if they, I don't know if they'll elevate past Krusty's. (laughs) (laughs) You mean he's not going to use our gluten-free vegan recipe? I don't know. (laughs) Well, um, I don't know if you want to go there, but you've kicked cancer in the face twice. Yeah. It would be nice if we could do it again. I think you can. Uh, I'm, I'm trying. I know. It's interesting. I have never, um, like, you know, when someone's strong Uh and then there's people that are strong and it's just because it's who they are. It's Uh not how they look and you're both, but it's like, um, when I found out you had the the first time you had cancer, I'm like, crud, that sucks. And then you're like, I'm not letting it get me and Deb killed it. And then. Um, second round came around and it was like, I remember you telling me, um, well, I don't know the exact words, but it was fancy. And, (laughs) and you're like, I am not letting that take me. I know I've got five more years in this body. Uh And I think we're at seven years later. Well, from the, from the first round, it was, um, we had just found out we won the good food awards. Oh, no way. So that was over 10 Oof. years ago, and I got diagnosed that week. So we've been, you know, as you know, mm-hmm. breast cancer, bone cancer. Now it's moved someplace else. I have a very warming, wonderful place for cancer to grow. So <laughs> I don't know. It's like it's really at home in my body. Um, but, yeah, we just keep working it. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel good. I do. That's awesome. I feel good. I know a lot of people that are dealing with cancer and they do not feel good. I know. You know I have no idea why. Because, you know, I walk into the, uh, the chemo ward every week and I confuse the patients there as to why I'm there. Hmm. Because I just look normal. Yeah. And I have no idea why that is, but I'll take it. Yeah. So. Well, I'm glad you're doing as good as you are. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, so are my kids. So is my husband. <laughs> so is everybody. So is Here we are. So. Well, thanks again for being on the podcast. And thanks to our listeners who've listened this far because I know you got value out of this podcast. This is a Hope so. Super fun. Hope so. And it was. And good luck with the coffee shop. Thanks, Deb. Damn it. Take it forward. It's going to happen. Yeah. We're going to have fun with it. Yeah. Okay, anyone listening to this podcast, if you have ideas, interviews, questions, anything you can think of, we have the connections to get it done. Email me at podcast at btsnw.com. If you're interested in being on the podcast or you have a guest that you'd like to recommend, hit me up the same place. Find me on all the socials, Behind the Scene Northwest, or find me personally, and I'll get you a cup of coffee. At First Avenue. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out. Have a good one. See you on the next show.